Welcome to New Spiritual York. I'm Uremi, co-host and co-goddess alongside the ever-beautiful Michelle. Uh, New Spiritual York is a podcast about self-care, self-discovery, and really spiritual awareness. Um, And Michelle and I wanted to preface this episode. We did a really great interview with Brooklyn Borough President, New York City mayoral candidate, and turns out a huge wellness advocate, Eric Adams. We talk about health, self-care, spirituality, and the so important role of community in healing. Um, We really hope you enjoy this episode. We wanted to give you a little preface on it, but really at the core of it, I loved how we explored how our darkest moments can be catalysts to plant ourselves and grow roots that lead us to bigger, bolder, more fulfilling lives. And here it is. Hope you enjoy. Um, We'd like to introduce our guest today, which is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak with your audience and engage in this conversation. Of course. Thank you. And it's so amazing to have you on, um, particularly because, you know, uh, self-care is usually something that comes at a time when people feel like something's not going right in their life or um, they're unhappy or not reaching the goals that they're they're looking to reach. Um, and, and, you know, for Michelle and I, the way that we approach self-care and wellness, it was definitely a catalyst, something that moved us into that direction. Um, what was the catalyst that led you down the self-care and wellness path? I believe it was a com- combination of things. Uh, first, I personally believe that we are experiencing a universal shift uh, in our existence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we look at uh, dark moments and don't realize that they're not burials, but plantings. And really how we define those moments, because no matter who you are, uh, you are going to experience a dark moment and you're really in control of making the determination that am I planted right now or am I buried? And oftentimes cycling out of that. And I think even COVID-19 with all the despair that it has brought and uncertainty and trauma, uh, it is a real moment that we have to be honest with ourselves. Uh, we were not well prior to COVID-19 and we weren't living, we were existing. And so what really was a turning point for me was when I was diagnosed with type two diabetes and it caused me to lose sight in my left eye and I was losing in my right. Uh, The doctors told me I was going to be blind. I was having neuropathic nerve damage that was going to eventually cause lead to amputation of fingers and toes. And just going through the standard American diet and some of the byproducts of that with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, I had an ulcer and I was in a dark place and I could have just wallowed in that dark place. But instead, I said, this is a moment of being planted and I'm going to grow out of that place. And in the process, the fruit of my harvest is going to feed other people because being a wounded healer allows you to heal yourself in the process. Definitely. That's that's enlightening to hear. And certainly something that a lot of our listeners can relate to, kind of that catalyst to uh, to change. Um, and I know that, you know, it's it's not easy, right? Being a wounded healer, having the experience and going through the path 
So what's the, what do you think now that you are on that path um, to wellness and, 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 and made that change and, and rooted yourself? What do you think is the most, I think there's a double question here. Michelle, you may have one as well. Um, yeah. So what's the most challenging part of that journey to wellness for you right now? And um, does your self-care practice look like today? Yeah. We, we live through a very fast-paced life. Mm-hmm. And we must be intentional about wellness in so many different levels. And when I say intentional, it can't be accidental. You can't get to the end of your day and say, wow, I forgot too." no matter what it is. You must build into your day just as you put your pants on or your dress on or you take your shower or, you know, whatever you do, uh, your wellness must be built into that. And what do I mean when I say that? I believe uh, I start my day with meditation and I end it with meditation. Mm -hmm. But also in between the day, I have this 100 point system, I call it, where I give myself a hundred points. And if I don't have the hundred points by the end of the evening, I will put the dollar amount into a jar so that I will give it away at the end of the week. I give myself three points if I hold the door from, for someone, five points if I buy a meal for someone that's homeless or that's in need. Something simple as if I said a good lo- hello and engage in a conversation with someone I don't know, I would give myself a point. So I mm-hmm. keep doing it and I'm intentional at the day. So at the end of the day, I sit down after meditating and I only have 80 points. I'll put $20 in a jar so that I can give that away at the end of the week. I think part of wellness is really depositing into the social bank of life. So when it's time for you to draw on the equity, you have something that you deposited in, but you have to be intentional about it. It can't be accidental. It can't be uh, that, you know, you go week, day by day, week by week, and you realize that you made no contribution because I truly believe that wellness is not only of what we do for ourselves, but what we do for others. And being grateful is that you're great because you're full with compassion and giving and caring and kindness in the process. That's awesome. I think that's very beautiful, being able to not only self-care for yourself, but also being able to um, make sure that when you're caring for yourself, you're caring for others and how that affects the community and, you know, caring for yourself really is a catalyst for change amongst um, everyone around us. Because it goes together. Uh, You know, there was an amazing study that took place uh, in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, Mm -hmm. where the scientists took a piece of matter and they divided it into two pieces and spread them out seven miles apart. They impacted one piece and simultaneously the other piece was impacted. It was the first time a proven scientific study showed that although you separate things that belong together, they are still connected. And so we may be separated physically, but we all came from the same center and the same creation. So I cannot heal myself without healing you. I cannot have a life of peace and joy without you having it. Uh, We are part of the same center. And if we believe we can be well without the person next to us not being well, it's just not possible. 
Uh, my wellness depends on your wellness, and I must ensure that we do it together because we are connected. 100%. Yeah, 100. And I think we've, we've also talked about this, about being on your journey. It feels sometimes solitary, but truly it's impacting everyone around you. Um, and we try to encourage the community as well, because we have a lot of uh, folks that listen in and um, they're new to the journey. They're, they're new to looking within, being mindful um, and, and highlighting how you know, their, their brother, their sister, their child will benefit from their own kind of healing. Truly, I think it's a huge motivator. And additionally, that, that gamification that you, you kind of uh, took on for yourself in in your own practice, I think that's beautiful. We, we often hear about gamification and, you know, in, in, in technology, right. The way that you, (laughs) you gamify an app to use it more. (laughs) And I think it's important to take on those tricks for ourselves. Right. Um, yeah, we, we can't, yeah, (laughs) we can't allow, you know, the big tech companies to drive us into using (laughs) their apps. We have to drive ourselves, Mm -hmm. understand our psychology a little bit better. Um, but ultimately it's a game that everybody wins from, right. (laughs) There are no losers. (laughs) Well said. said. And it's a, it's a, uh, you know, this this concept and philosophy of being a part of the, you know, it doesn't matter if it's uh, around Confucius and, you know, yin and yang or, you know, I, you know, I am because I think I am. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It has been here so for so long and wisdom has been here. And what has happened is that we have moved away from those moments of just really putting our ears to our soul and listening to who and what we are. We no longer know who and what we are. And it's time, I believe, we're in a moment of rediscovery. And so what you're doing is so powerful uh, because it's giving people an opportunity. You don't have to be a a great scholar of philosophy. Uh, The skills of self-awareness and wellness uh, it's no matter what your economics may be, no matter what your status may be, uh, you could be the person that drives the limousine or the person that sits in the back of the limousine. We're all equal. And once we remove these images of how we uh, define people and the status of people, we find mm-hmm. that we are all equal no matter who we are. And that's just so important to get that message out. That, that's that's definitely it right there. Um, we all came from the same place and we all are the same internally. And that that's, that's the essence of self-care and the essence of love and love for yourself and love for others. Um, so you kind of touched upon it a little bit, but I wanted to quite, kind of like transition a little and ask like, you know, within certain communities, uh, sometimes wellness is considered a luxury. And sometimes it's something that's put on the back burner for a lot of New Yorkers, in particular communities of color. And sometimes they might find wellness practices taboo um, or even in their communities, there might be faced with food deserts. So how do we encourage self-care in local communities, especially especially in places that maybe um, the healthiest food is not necessarily around? That's such a great question. I hear that often um, when people talk about uh, safe uh, self-care, particularly mm-hmm. in the area of eating healthy. Uh, we have to first start where we are. And that is part of what we are doing here at Borough Hall. We're showing people how to think and look differently at what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. We often 
focus on the negative and not the the positive. You can walk into the local bodega in one of the most unhealthy places in the city. And right in that store, if you're trained correctly, you will find products that are extremely healthy. Uh, Dried beans, dried lentils, uh, having, uh, you know, just different foods that, that are available that you can make extremely healthy meals from without even thinking about it. But if you're not trained to do so, you have a tendency to go to those products that is really contributing uh, to your inability to be healthy. We have been taught that our mental state and our physical state is separate without realizing the unhealthy foods that we eat is also doing a destruction to our brains as well. It creates mm-hmm. depression. It, it creates a dementia, Alzheimer's. It creates the inability to rest correctly. Our brains need the same level of nutrition uh, that our arms, our legs, our heart, our stomach, our kidneys, our pancreas need as well. The blood moves through the same level. And a, mal, a diet that is malnutrition is mm-hmm. a diet that's going to impact our stomach, our colon, and it's going to impact our brain. And so the goal is to look at where we are right now, empower people with the ability of saying, while we move our community to a place where we will no longer have food apartheid or food deserts, what do we do with what we have right now? And then we continue this fight of making sure we get you know, more healthy and access to nutritional food in our communities, and we cannot ever surrender uh, to the belief of what we can do. We need to stay on the pathway of what we can do. Yeah, that totally resonates for for us. We recorded an episode about self-care on a budget, right? <laughs> so what can you find in the 99 cent store for yourself? We, we often find, you know, wellness, the industry in general can be very... Um, it's not very inclusive. Um, you have your, your very beautiful blondes, tall with green juice and some yoga. And, you know, that doesn't represent every community, particularly not in New York City. Um, and so we, we definitely want to make sure that um, we highlight what we have and what we can do with what we have. But one mm-hmm. of those areas, too, is education. And um, com- our communities, I mean, I, I grew up um, in Harlem. And, you know, our communities, um, that education is not something that's kind of built into the, the infrastructure of, of everything. Um, and by infrastructure, I, I mean kind of like when I was in school, <laughs> I remember not really having too much of that understanding about like, what is healthy food for me? I, I think going back to basics, right, I, I did rely on my immigrant roots um, to kind of lead me in that way. And my, and my grandma would teach me about plantains and would teach me about root vegetables. Um, but when I spoke to my more, I, I would say Americanized because I, I come from a, um, this immigrant uh, background, um, they didn't have the same concepts. And I, I often find myself encouraging that understanding of food. Um, and so I, I, I definitely um, resonate with, your, with what you mentioned there. Um, do you feel, you know, from, from that perspective of educating our communities, is there something specifically that community organizers can do or us, right, as individuals can do to elevate that food knowledge? Yes, um, and that's a, that is a, a great question because there's so much more um, we can do. 
Uh, first, we're not using uh, the moments we have uh, in our school system to really uh, stop feeding the crisis. Uh, I sent a group of educators away uh, last, a little over a year ago to train them on yoga and how to be a teacher, mindfulness uh, and yoga. And they went into the schools in Brooklyn North to do the same. I believe every child should start their day of having 20 minutes of meditation. Of many of our young people, by the time they reach the classroom, they're traumatized. They're experiencing some form of PTSD from the trauma of getting to the classroom in the mm -hmm. school building. And so I think it's unfair uh, if you tell little Johnny uh, who woke up and had a envi supportive environment, everything from the school crossing guard is showing him love as he crossed the street to uh, the person in the store placing the money in his hand when he purchased something and encouraging him on his exam. And then across town, you have little Jose who's waking up. He's lucky if he has heat in the building, if he's living in NYCHA. Uh, he's dealing with the stress of probably someone just died or was shot the night before. And then on his way to school, instead of having the money placed in his hand, he has the person in the store following him around, or maybe even the police officer stopped him on the way and frisked him. Now we put both of them in the classroom and expect both of them to learn without dealing with the needs of little Jose to find that internal peace and that self-healing before he could prepare himself to absorb. If we don't recognize the different environments our young people are coming from and ensure that we cater the needs that they must have so that they can be prepared to have a, become a young adult that develop their full personhood, then we're setting them up for failure. And I think that you see that every day. Our school system is just, just self-perpetuating the model that is failing our children and they become broken children that grow into become broken adults and live broken lives in the process. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that resonates because, you know, what we've seen is a healthier, less stressed individual, someone who has the support, someone who is feeling whole. Um, it leads to a more prosperous population of citizens overall, right? People can contribute not only uh, from a monetary perspective, but from a um, energetic perspective to the person next to them, right? And government overall benefits from individuals are connected through wellness. Um, and because we can be more prosperous, I, I, I believe depression leads to something about $1.4 billion per year lost because folks can't, you know, get to, get to work. Yeah. Um, and in that notion and in that, in that space, um, and, and particularly speaking about, you know, you, you kind of pointed it to it already, which is education. But what do you think the future of self-care or wellness um, through government policies could look like? That, that question is so important that you're asking. Uh, broken leaders cannot create policies that are not broken. And if our leaders don't realize the positive, proactive approach to self-care, you just quoted off the dollar amount that goes with depression. And it's in every area uh, we feed the crisis. Many of the crises that we are facing in our cities 
is due to self-inflicted wounds. And if you're not able to see how being proactive of teaching young people self-care, not only as they are in school, but when they graduate from school and enter a profession, those skills stay with them. We're so focused on academics and that does not develop the full personhood of the child to become an adult with full personhood uh, development. And so because we are not socially, emotionally intelligent, how do we, we respond in the heat of the moment? How do we treat our fellow adults? How do we treat our fellow peers, our family members? How do we interact with each other? Teaching those real skills of self-care, wellness, communication, uh, how to become better human beings is far more cheaper than having a human being that has not been taught these skills and become an impediment and destructive in society. And so the number you quoted is only equal to when you look at the men and women who are in our correctional facility, the large number that are dealing with mental health, the large number that are dealing with uh, those things that they could have received assistance from when they were younger, it is cheaper to have prevention than just intervention. Let's stop the crisis from happening and we'll get a better result. I always talk about Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who I love his quote. He said, we spend a lifetime pulling people out of the river. We don't go upstream and prevent them from falling in in the first place. It's time for us to go upstream. In New York, we not only stop people from falling in, in far too many cases, we're pushing them in. And I say, let's stop them from falling in. Yeah, that I, I thank you for the, for that uh, yeah. for that feedback, and also I, I love that Desmond Tutu quote. I, I love his book. Um, I think it was on <laughs> forgiveness. Uh, is is the book right? Yeah. Um, so so much knowledge to gain, so much um, insight to gain from that because it's completely true. I mean. Um, for me, um, I, I'm, I'm one of those statistics I feel early on in my teenage years. I think Latinx women tend to ha to be more disproportionately depressed as teens. Um, and I was going down a, a really um, tough path. And I think it was definitely through going upstream and figuring out in myself what was leading me there. What, you know, these are symptoms. And too often, I think, in, in even in in our neighborhoods, you know, we, we look at the kid who's doing bad in school or who's getting suspended and we point and say they're, they're bad, right? <laughs> um, but no one's born bad and there's always a reason um, behind it. It's just peeling those layers and, and having that empathy and, and stopping them from falling into the river, 100%. So true. Well said. I remember as a police officer, a young boy, 13 years old, uh, was arrested twice for carrying a gun. And I recall sitting down and talking to him just to find out who was he. He was le living home alone. His mother had a drug problem. Rarely did he have a balanced meal. He had to dress himself, bathe himself, feed himself and his younger sibling. And everyone was responding to the fact he had the gun. They were not looking at the fact we loaded the gun by not giving him the services that he needed. No one took the time to ask why. What are you mm -hmm. feeling? Why are you here? What is causing this? 
And so oftentimes we move past each other at such a rapid pace. I think about the old R&B song, if you take a close look at my face, you'll see my smile is out of place in the tracks of my tears. We say good morning to people and they say I'm hurting and we say have a nice day. We didn't even hear their response. It's time to slow down and really engage with people, look each other in the eye. And when we say, how are you this morning? It should mean something, how are you? And we should wait for the response and not anticipate the response and fill in the blank. Those simple steps of just engaging in people and taking a moment and just to find out how are they doing and hearing of their response and giving them a real heartfelt attention is how we give back. At the heart of what I believe is just let us give back. Let us start recognizing each other again. That was said beautifully. Um, I completely agree with the fact that so often as New Yorkers, we kind of pass each other We're like, oh, how you doing? But there's like this joke that goes around that most people don't care how the other person is doing. But even just letting people know that you're there for them, and especially in a time like we are right now with global pandemic, where there's so many things going on, so many factors that uh, could be leading people to a situation where they don't feel their best, it's important to to give people space and providing space for people. Yeah. Well said. So thank you again. Uh, we wanted to kind of like end the conversation with um, everyone who comes on our guests. We ask for a nugget of wisdom. You've already provided us with so much already, but hmm. what's a piece of wellness wisdom that you would offer your younger self? Oh, as my mom gave me, uh, you know, when I was a young man, 15 years old, I was uh, arrested and uh, beat by police officers. And mom said to me, son, if you are fortunate to live long enough, you're going to be unfortunate to experience pain. The question you must ask yourself, how do you turn pain into purpose? How do you use a painful moment to become a purposeful moment? We all have a purpose for being here. We are not an accident. We should find our purpose and seek it. And don't judge oneself by the standards of others. If we believe that success is reaching the destiny and not the journey, then we will interpret even someone like Donald Trump as a success just because he became president. Enjoy the journey. Let the universe take care of the destiny. Our job is to enjoy the journey because the journey we're on may be preparing us for our real purpose. If you just focus on the destiny, you're going to miss what you're supposed to learn for your real purpose. So just enjoy the journey. Thank you so much. That Thank was you. so powerful. And yeah, we want to be worthy of our suffering is something that I, I, I often have to, <laughs> have to remind myself Um so thank you so much. You. It's been a pleasure. We want to be mindful of your time. We know you're busy um, and you have our full support yes, <laughs> from the new Spiritual York I appreciate, family. Appreciate you both. <laughs> thank you. Take thank care. You.